Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Let me pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, as we look at Solomon, Father, we can learn what it means to gain wisdom from you. And, Father, as we look into your word today, would you um, grant us wisdom? Would you grant us knowledge? Um, would you allow us to see as you see? So, Father, we just pray you bless this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Nicole, when you're ready, go ahead and read. Okay. Uh, excuse the voice this morning. I'm not feeling 100%, but we'll give it a shot. Uh, we are in Second Chronicles 1, um, and I am reading from the NIV version. <clears throat> Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, <clears throat> to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families, and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses the Lord's servant had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of the God of God from Kiriath Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon in front of that tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father. And have made me king in this new, in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust on the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who has been, has, who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Verse 13. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place of Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Q. The royal merchants purchased them from Q at the current price. 
They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Aramaeans. Thank you, Nicole. Okay, so a little background on Second Chronicles. Uh, the book of Second Chronicles parallels um, First and Second Kings, and sometimes there's a little more detail in Kings, if you remember when we were there. Um, but Chronicles virtually ignores the northern kingdom of Israel because of its false worship and refusal to acknowledge the temple in Jerusalem. So Chronicles focuses on those kings who pattern their life after King David. So it goes through uh, the reign of Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam, etc. It goes through many kings. Um, as for the author, uh, it's really based on a lot of different writings. We're not sure exactly who compiled it. But at the end of Chronicles, there's a mention of... Um, Let's see, the prophecy of Ahijah, the visions of Edo, the seer, the records of Shemaiah, the prophet, uh, the annals of Jehu and the son of So There was various writings that were used to compile the book of Chronicles. Um, as far as the date goes, this is around um, 971 BC, and it covers about 40 years. So, okay, with that in mind... Let's jump in. All right, so I'm going to start at the very beginning. So, all right, so we're in um, verse 1, and it says, Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Now, so Solomon had made a great start to his reign as king, and God was blessing him. Um, his father, David, left him with a good advantage. He allowed him to start well, and the kingdom was still strong at this point. Um, verse 3 goes on to say, And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon. Now, Solomon makes these special sacrifices at Gibeon because that's where the tabernacle of meeting with God is. So the tabernacle is still there, and the ark had been brought to Jerusalem, the place that David had prepared for it. But So the tabernacle itself is at Gibeon. So what really is the tabernacle? So it's called the tabernacle of meeting. It is the place where the people met with God. And that's always been the idea. It's not the place where the people meet each other, but the place where the people met with God. Okay, now we can track the progress of the tabernacle and the ark um, in the promised land. So we see um, in Joshua 18, Joshua brought the ark and the tabernacle to Shiloh um, in the days of Eli. The ark was captured and the tabernacle was um, destroyed. We see that in 1 Samuel 4, Psalm 78, Jeremiah 7. Um, 1 Samuel 7, ark comes back to, I can't say this word, Kerjath, Jerim. Um, and later on, um, Saul 
Saul restores the tabernacle at Nob. Saul moves the tabernacle to Gibeon. And then David brings the ark to Jerusalem and builds a temporary tent for it. So that's a little bit of the history of the tabernacle and the ark. Now, there could be a number of reasons why David doesn't bring the tabernacle um, from Gibeon to Jerusalem. So the goal is to build a temple. And he may have believed if the tabernacle was there, the people would be satisfied with that and maybe lose that passion and vision for the temple that God wanted. So that's a possible reason that he did not bring the tabernacle to Jerusalem. And I made a note here, how often are we like that? Sometimes we lack vision to see what God sees. So we get content. Sometimes that's okay. Other times our contentment may cause us to miss out on God's greater vision. So something we can learn from that is we don't always see what God sees. And sometimes it's okay to be content, but other times right, we might be missing out on what God really intends. Um, another reason that the tabernacle, um, it might be that the tabernacle was only moved when it was absolutely necessary. So as when disaster came upon it at Shiloh or Nob. So possible another reason. Um, it may be that David was simply focused on building a kingdom and not continuing the tabernacle. So another possible reason for him not doing that. All right, if we move on to verses five and six. Okay, verse five says, but the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of uh, Uri, the son of her, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So this is the same altar that was made in the wilderness, right, between Egypt and the promised land. And the altar was probably at least 500 years old and had received many sacrifices over Israel's long history. Uh, verse 5 continues to go on to say, so, so Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. This is kind of important. Solomon and the people of God sought the Lord at the place of atoning sacrifice. So that was the, the Old Testament equivalent of coming to the cross and seeking God, right? So this was an important event marking the ceremonial beginning of Solomon's reign. Solomon wanted to demonstrate from the beginning that he would seek God and lead the kingdom to do so. Now, remember this, because Solomon starts out really well. We'll see later on, he doesn't end as well. So this idea of seeking God, um, there are things that cause us to deviate or distract us, and we'll look at those in a little bit. He goes on to say um, he offered a thousand burnt offerings. <laughs> Just visualize that for yourself, right? This is an animal that they are burning as an offering, and they're burning a thousand offerings. So it's a it's a sacrifice, right? Because it's a sacrifice of all these animals, but it's also a personal sacrifice for Solomon. 
but it's also demonstrating his great wealth, but also his heart to use that wealth to glorify God in having the sacrifices. So again, Solomon is starting off well. Verse 7, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want. Now, uh, 1 Kings 3 verse 5 tells us that this is a remarkable visitation from God that happened in a dream. Uh, This is probably one of the more significant dreams in the Bible. And it's interesting to note that this happens notwithstanding the fact that the ark's not there. What's the relevance of that? The ark was where God dwelled, and the ark wasn't there, but God still appears to Solomon. So God meets with him and communes with him, and God was making it clear that his presence was not to be superstitiously restricted um, to an association with the ark, right? So The ark is not the only presence of God. God is everywhere. God is present. God is with his people. Now, in the second part of verse 7, he says, ask whatever you want. Ask whatever you want me to give you. So this is an amazing promise, right? Because God was offering Solomon whatever he wanted. Um, not because he sacrificed a thousand animals. It was really about Solomon's heart because his heart was surrendered to God. God wanted to work something in Solomon um, through this. So as we read that, I wonder if any of you guys have that same thought. Um, I wonder if the God of Solomon, if God was going to grant Solomon that wish, I wonder if he would do the same for me, right? And actually, we do have that promise. Um, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Um, John 15, 7 says, if you remain in my words, If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So again, God is saying, ask. Uh, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I think the, the operative part is the according to his will, right? Is the thing we're asking for going to glorify God ultimately? Right, are we putting him first? So here's the question. So what should we ask for? I'm going to go back to John. John 14, 13 says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So there's a stipulation there, right? The things we ask for should be bringing glory to God, not our self-gratification, but it should be a way to contribute to building God's kingdom, to making God's name known, right? So that's a provisor. Ask, but not for what we need, but what he needs to build the kingdom. Okay. So um, 
how should we ask? Well, Matthew 6, 9 through, through 13 teaches us how to pray, right? It says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, six things we can get out of that. Uh, when we ask, you know, we start by honoring the name of God, right? Two, we ask that his kingdom will come, right? So whatever we ask for, um, in John 14, it said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. So we want the Father to be glorified. We want his kingdom to come, his kingdom to be built, um, that his will should be done. So, and then he provides three things for us, right? God will provide what we need. If of all, he will forgive our sins and he will deliver us from evil. Okay. So um, just looking at the chat there, um, Deborah, to know God's will, we have to surrender ours, right? So it's putting ourselves aside and putting God first. Uh, we are in verse 8. So verse 8 goes on to say, you have shown um, great kindness, or another word you can put in there is mercy. So before responding to God's offer and asking for something, Solomon remembered God's faithfulness to both David and now to himself. So he's remembering what God has done. Verse 10, give me wisdom and knowledge. Um, Solomon asked for more than great knowledge. He wanted wisdom. And according to um, 1 Kings chapter 3, he wanted it um, not only in his head, but in his heart. So God, um, Solomon was asking for wisdom and knowledge, so head and heart. Verse 10, why? So this I think this is really important, that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours? So a couple of things. His desire is not for himself. It is so that he may lead this people. And then he acknowledges that it's not his people, but this great people of yours. So the people, God's people. So give me your wisdom so that I may lead your people. So. Uh, if we look at the Hebrew year, um, this Hebrew expression means that I may fulfill my duties before this people. So Solomon asked for knowledge and wisdom to be a good king. Okay, everyone doing okay? All right, so we're going to jump into verse 11. Um, 11 through 12. So God says to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire. Now, God was pleased by what Solomon had asked for. And he was also pleased by what Solomon did not ask for. So what didn't he ask for? He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for fame, um, even though he did get that later on. He didn't ask for a long life. So God was pleased with his request. 
Um, so in First Kings three ten, um, again it references that his request pleased the Lord. I'm going to jump down a little bit here. Okay. God goes on to say, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. So God didn't only answer his prayer, but he answered it beyond his expectations. He didn't ask for wealth, possessions, and honor, but those are the things that God also gave him. A um, couple of words of caution, though. So God made Solomon wise, powerful, rich, influential, right? His reign was glorious. Um, but at the same time, his end was tragic, right? So we could go as far as saying that did Solomon possibly waste the gifts that God had given him? Because the things he accomplished in the beginning, right, weren't the same things that he was accomplishing at the end of his life. So in First Kings 11, uh, yeah, 4 through 11, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his hearts, his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father had been. So even though he accomplished a lot, as he grew older, his heart was led away from God. So what are some of the cautionary things uh, cautionary lessons or insights we can get from Solomon's life. So, one, wisdom can be misused, right? Wisdom is good, but Solomon is renowned for his wisdom, but later in his life he made unwise decisions. So despite his early wisdom, he allows his many wives to turn his heart away from God, um, leading to what? His involvement in idolatry. Um, two, uh, wealth and power bring temptations, right? They always do. So his immense wealth and power led to excesses and a lavish lifestyle. Um, think about the number of chariots, horses, um, etc. We'll get to that in a little bit. It serves as a warning about the potential negative impact of material success and the temptations associated with it. So I recently read a book called Halftime. And the focus is how do we how do we attain significance versus success, right? So Solomon was successful. Um, was he significant? Yes. But was that significance God-honoring or God-focused? Was he making an impact for God at the end of his life? Okay, number three. I'm just going to... Number three. Uh, marriage choices matter. So Solomon uh, married many foreign wives, many of whom followed other gods. Ultimately, he led him astray and led him away from his devotion to God. 
So that really just the video back that really just re-emphasizes the importance of who we choose to do life with right uh, we need to choose people who share our values and our beliefs because of this exact issue that happened to Solomon um, number four um, hubris and pride lead to downfall hubris excessive pride uh, Solomon's later years were marked by arrogance and pride. Um, his pride contributed to his deviation from God's commands. So it's a cautionary tale about the dangers of pride and the importance of humility, right? So if we look into the things that Solomon did, he built the temple for seven years, but then he built his own palace for 13 years. Um, again, pride, right? Um, lack of humility, all these things contributed ultimately to his downfall. Number five is God's command should be followed. Pretty simple, right? Um, Solomon's departure from doing that had serious consequences, and his story just um, serves as a reminder of the importance of being obedient to what God tells us to do and the way we should live. Um, number six, number six, and now lessons learned or cautionary lessons, legacy isn't guaranteed, right? So despite his early successes, Solomon's legacy was marred by his later actions. So he started well, didn't end well. And so legacy is not guaranteed and can be influenced by the choices we make throughout our lives. So be careful about the choices you make. Um, number seven, prioritize spiritual wisdom. So while Solomon had a great intellectual wisdom, he failed to consistently ap apply spiritual wisdom. So the pursuit of spiritual insight understand, and understanding should be prioritized. So we find the things that Solomon pursued in his later life tells us that he was lacking that spiritual wisdom. Um, number eight, so this is the last one here, um, balance between work and rest. So I find this very interesting. So Solomon had extensive building projects, right? So he was building the temple for seven years. But some of the results... Um, of the construction of the temple led to heavy taxation, right? So um, we can read later on, um, after Solomon dies, the people ask his son for relief from the burden that they, that his father had put on them, Solomon had put on them. Um, so heavy taxation, forced labor, and this is just a reminder to find balance between work and rest and to avoid the pitfalls of overwork, but more importantly, exploitation. So in some ways, um, the very people that Solomon asked for wisdom for to lead were exploited. So Solomon had become preoccupied with projects and building. And this is maybe one of Satan's very secret weapons, right? Preoccupation. Uh, what what could that be? So for Solomon, it was 
projects, projects, projects for years and years and years, um, building things. Um, his kingdom was so impressive that Queen of Sheba came to visit him and she was impressed. But this might be different. This might be Netflix. It might be a job. It might be, I don't know what it is for you, but preoccupation um, was one of the things that contributed to Solomon's downfall. So let's just be aware that this is one of the ways that Satan comes against us and wants to um, slowly sneak in and get us to um, lose our devotion and our focus on, on God, right? Okay, so I have a question here. How do we get wisdom? So... All right. So the first thing is, Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. But how should we fear God? So um, Philip, much I can pronounce, Philip Melanchthon, who was a collaborator with Martin Luther, um, discussed what it means to fear God by contrasting Filial fear with servile fear. Now, filial fear is the type of respect and love as a, that a child has uh, for a parent, a fear of offending the one they most adore and trust. In contrast, servile fear is the kind of fear that a prisoner has for his jailer or executioner. So the kind of fear that we need to have for God is the love and respect um, that a child has for a parent, a fear of offending the one we most adore and trust. So to fear God means to respect, adore, trust, right? Um, part two is, so one, fear God. How do we get wisdom? Uh, we need to desire wisdom. The second step to getting wisdom is to desire it with all our heart. As Solomon says, uh, we must look for it as for silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, Proverbs 2, verse 4. Um, number three, we need to pray for wisdom. So James tells us in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So ask. Uh, number four, is we get wisdom by doing what we're doing right now, studying God's word. All right, the last step in getting wisdom is studying and meditating on God's word. Um, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. All right, so four ways to get wisdom. Fear God, desire wisdom, pray for wisdom and study God's word. Um, I'm going to look at the last few verses pretty quickly. So verses 13 through 17 talks about um, Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, thrown before the tent of the meeting, and he reigned of Israel, and it talks about everything he accumulated, horses, chariots, etc. Um, again, I just want to scroll down a bit. Okay, 
All right, so Deuteronomy 17.16 has this warning to the kings of Israel. It says, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you you're not to go back that way again. So God's people were brought out of Egypt, and then God warns the kings of Israel don't acquire horses, don't acquire uh, physical things. And so we can see Solomon's act here as a direct disobedience, right? And so he's doing the very thing that the kings are warned not to do. Um, Solomon might have said, look, I'm importing horses from Egypt, but I'm not doing it for myself, right? I'm exporting them to other people. So I'm actually helping other people. So many examples of gross disobedience begin as clever rationalizations. Don't let your sin deceive you. All right, so Solomon's going, ah, yeah, it's all right. I'm not doing this for myself. Don't try and rationalize that's what that which is wrong. All right, do not let your sin deceive you. And so um, Solomon's disobedience in the small things began his downfall. So we'll end with this. Um, first, he disobeyed. He multiplied horses for the service of the kingdom. Then, because of these connections of Egypt, he, mar he married uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Then, because he started by marrying an Egyptian, he married many other foreign women. Then, because of the presence of the foreign wives, he built temples to their gods for their use. Then, because of the presence of his temples, he began to worship these other gods himself. See what happened from the small thing? And so at the end of his life, Solomon doesn't end well. Um, he's preoccupied, he's distracted, he's deceived. Don't let the small things deceive you because they lead to great downfalls. All right, how are we doing? So that's pretty much all I have for you today. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And let me pray and get you back to your day. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, just the blessing of your word. We thank you that we can gain wisdom, um, that we can seek it by fearing you, by asking you, by um, spending time um, talking with you. And so, Father, we pray that uh, we would be bold to ask for the things um, that would glorify your name that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us insight, but that we would that when you give us those things, Father, it would be for the purpose of making your name known, for the purpose of expanding your kingdom, for the purpose of um, allowing other people come to, to come to know Jesus. So, Father, we pray that we would be wise. We pray that we would not be deceived. And, Father, allow us not to rationalize the things that you see as sin. So, Father, we ask for forgiveness. We submit ourselves to you. Um, we submit this day to you. And, Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.